Thanks for listening and welcome to the Bridges Community Church Podcast. Christ alone offers freedom, but we often keep ourselves locked up by trying to add on to His gift, and we further tighten the chains. Christ alone offers freedom to step outside the gates of our prisons and learn to experience life on the outside. Listen in as we check out our current series on the New Testament book of Galatians titled, Life on the Outside, with today's teaching pastor, Nate Glaze. Good morning. We're awake today, huh? Wow, I'm impressed. First service was not quite as awake as you guys are right now. Anyway, uh, I'm excited to be here. We've been going through this book of Galatians for the last several weeks, and it's been a really great study, I know, for myself, and I think for a lot of you, as we've been just seeing how God is calling us to live in freedom. We called the series Life on the Outside, that God has called us to a better life, a life of freedom, a life of embracing Him. And uh, the book of Galatians, up till this point, has been somewhat vague on really specifically, what does that freedom look like? What does it mean to, to be free? Yeah, we know we're free from our sins. We know we've got this new life uh, on the outside, but what does that look like? And today we get to, to dive right into that, the, the section of Galatians we're getting at. This really is kind of the pinnacle, I think, of the whole book. And uh, I get to share it with you guys today, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to kind of open with an illustration, something to get us thinking a little bit. And uh, about what it, what it means to, to live life in the spirit, live life on the outside. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this. A couple of years ago, about a year ago, I broke my ankle. And I was hobbling around for a couple of weeks here, quite a few weeks with the cast on. Okay, if you don't remember, I definitely do. So you can just trust me that that happened. Um, so I broke my ankle in a ski accident. And, uh, and, and immediately my ankle swallowed up and I needed surgery. I needed some pins and plates and stuff to get it all put back together. But my ankle was so swollen that, that they couldn't do the surgery. So they put me on house arrest for like two weeks. I had to lay with my leg elevated above my heart. It was absolutely miserable. Right? And at the same time, my wife and, and daughter had plans to be out of town. So Becca's getting ready to leave, and she's getting me all kind of set up. And I'm going to have this week to myself of just laying around in pain, bored. And she rents me this video game from Redbox. Now, I've never been a video game player. I've never owned video games. It's never been something that's been really interesting to me. I choose to actually enjoy real things. And, uh, but so I get this video game, and, and they leave, and the first day I wake up, and I kind of crawl down to the basement, right? And I, I get myself all propped up, and I start playing this video game. And I kid you not, like six hours later, I go, huh, when was the last time I got up? And that continued for like a week straight. I became a total troll. It was the most bizarre thing that ever happened to me. Like I was just in this world where that was all that mattered. And while I was playing that game, I wasn't feeling the pain in my ankle. I wasn't feeling sorry for myself for being stuck inside. And I wasn't thinking about all the work I should have been doing that was piling up. I was just a troll down in my basement. And I remember a week later, my wife came home and our daughter and it was bizarre. Instead of being happy to see them, I was like, oh, man, I got to get out of my basement, and I got to interact with people and have social engagement. And, and it just totally overtook my life. And this went on, actually, for several weeks. My wife would go to work every day and eight hours straight. I was just absorbed. And a couple weeks later, I finally get the surgery, and I get cleared to go back to living, 
right? And I've got this cast on, and the swelling is so painful as that my ankle, every time I sit for very long, the ankle swells, and it hurts. And my daughter, she's been missing her dad for three weeks, and all she wants to do is crawl on me and wrestle with me, and I'm looking at just mountains of work that I've neglected for the last two weeks that I've got to get back to. And, and real life, it was hard. It was uncomfortable, but it was real life, right? It was freedom, and I was experiencing this. And the further I got away from my troll-like basement existence, the more ugly and unfulfilling that basement existence seemed. And I think that's what happens in our spiritual life so often, that we live in this spiritual basement of funk, right? And we've got these things in our life that we think are so valuable and so important and so beautiful to us. And the book of Galatians is calling us to freedom, calling us to this life in the spirit, life on the outside. And when we live in that spirit and we reflect back on our life, we realize that these things that we thought were so beautiful and so important to us are are worthless. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at today in the book of Galatians. So if you want to turn your Bibles open to Galatians 5, we're going to start in verse 13. And we're going to kind of jump on a little bit of where we ended last week. Galatians 5.13, and this really is, is Paul laying out what it means to, to live free, to walk in the Spirit, as we're going to discover today. So if you got one of the Bibles in your pews, it's page 975. It says this. It says, you are, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. That's funny. He uses like seven words after this. But he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the whole law is fulfilled in this one single word, this one concept, and that's love. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you not be consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these oppose each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law, for those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another, envying one another. See, this is a powerful example and a powerful call to live on the outside, to live this life of freedom. And really, I think we can summarize it in this concept of walking in the Spirit. This is the command Paul uses. He doesn't say, be all these fruits of the Spirit. It's not a list of don't do all these bad things and instead do all these good things. Instead, he's saying, if you walk in the Spirit, if you live in the Spirit, if you are led by the Spirit, then you won't need these desires of the flesh. You'll crucify those things. And instead, your life will embody these fruits of the Spirit. And I think that's profound, that what God is calling us to do is to walk, to be led by the Spirit. 
But that's a little bit fuzzy. It's a little bit hard for us to get our fingers around exactly what that means. And so I want us to take a look at that. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? So often we, we look at this and we get to this section and we're like, okay, so the law, the Jewish law has no hold on our life. We're not enslaved to that anymore. So now the new law is love and it looks like the fruits of the Spirit. So now we have to be more patient. We have to, and, and that's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to walk in the Spirit. One of the ways that I, I think about walking in the Spirit and what this means to walk in the Spirit is uh, an experience I had a couple of years ago. I was out mountain biking with James uh, Raritan, who's not here right now. But James and I, we were going up Mission Peak, and we were going up Tuesday afternoons. And uh, during the wintertime, it was getting dark by the time we came down the mountain. And so we had these headlights on our bike. And one particular afternoon, we're coming down the mountain, and my headlight, which was shining really nice and helping so I could see the trail and not crash and all that, all of a sudden, it just starts getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I can't see anything. I can't see the rocks. I can't see the trail. I can't see the big black cows that are walking across the trail in the middle of the night, right? And all I can see is this little red light of James in front of me. And I realized pretty quickly that I better keep my eye on that red light because if I lose James's trail, I'm gonna have to walk down this mountain, right? And so I just focused in on that light because James could see ahead. He had a light that was working. So I just followed him down and everywhere he went, I tried to go exactly where he went. And I think that's a little bit like what it means to walk in the spirit. The reality of it is that you and I don't have enough light in our life to do good. The Bible is very clear on that, that you can't will yourself to be a good enough person. You can't try to cut out enough bad things in your life to, to achieve some sort of religious or spiritual success in your life, that we're totally unable to do that. Yet, when we become followers of Jesus, we've been promised the very spirit of God to come into our life, the very spirit of light, the very spirit of love to come in and to guide us and direct us. And following the Holy Spirit means putting our eyes on him and focusing on what he wants to do in our life. And that's exactly what Paul is calling us here tonight is to focus, or today, is to focus on, on him, on his light. I think another way we can think of that is that this light of love, the whole context of this passage comes from that, that everything can be boiled down to one word, and that's love. But it's a love that's sacrificial. It's a love that's challenging. It's not just some pretty little word that we like to sing love songs about, right? This is a love that's embodied in Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, a love that is totally uh, impossible for us to do. And I think that's what makes walking in the Spirit so challenging is that when we walk in the Spirit, He's going to take us out of the things that we're so comfortable in. When I was in my basement, I felt comfortable. I felt like I had the things I need. And, and when I came out of there, I realized that I needed to stretch and grow in different areas. And in the same way in our spiritual life, when we learn to follow this Holy Spirit, He guides us, He stretches us, He shows us a love that, that can be painful sometimes, a love that's sacrificial, a love that, that cares about other people more than ourselves, that pushes us beyond what we might think we want to do. But the Bible is also clear that that love is given to us by God himself. Romans 5, 5 talks about that the love of God has been poured into our heart through the Spirit. What a beautiful picture, right? I almost think of like this funnel of God's love being poured out into my life. And because of that, when we walk in the Spirit, when we're led by the Spirit, that we can love others. So let's, let's take a look at what does this look like? What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? And I think this passage is very clear that it starts out with this, that, that we got to crucify our fleshly desires. 
Throughout Scripture, it always comes hand in hand. Walking in the Spirit and doing away with the sins in our life goes hand in hand. That they don't, they can't go simultaneously together. We can't live our lives with this little bit of sin, feeling like, oh, this is this is okay. I can do this, and then I can also kind of do this Christian thing over here, or I can be kind of selfish in this area, but in this area, I'll be kind of giving and generous. It's saying, no, that the two are are mutually exclusive. And if we don't cut the sin out of our life, it'll continually draw us back into slavery. In other words, if we don't get out of our basements and experience what God has called us to, we've got to leave that behind. We can't stay in our basement and experience the fullness of what freedom is. And Paul, he lists out a whole bunch of sins in this passage, right? He gives this long list And I don't know about you, but when I read this list, I see all these things that kind of pop out at me. You know, some of them I can kind of go, oh, cool, I got that one. I'm not, that's not too big of a deal for me. But then other ones, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I struggle in that one. Or, okay, yeah, fits of anger. Okay, yeah, I guess guilty of that one. And, okay, dissension. I don't mean to be dissentious, but sometimes I guess I, I, you know, and, and these things, they come out. Another thing I think that is particularly troubling for me about this is that he lists all these sins together, right? He just groups them all together. He doesn't say, okay, there are these bad fleshly desires, and then there's the really bad fleshly desires, right? And it kind of, it almost bothers me a little bit. Like, how dare you say that my fits of anger are the same thing as an orgy? I mean, come on, aren't these in two separate categories? Aren't like I a little bit better than that? And I think the point here is that our sin is, is ugly, And whether it's something that we can justify in our life or we think is not that big of a deal, whether it's just something that society looks at and goes, yeah, that's normal. That's okay. Don't worry about that one. But yeah, that one over there, that's kind of bad. But that one's, no, no, all of it. All of it's ugly. We don't don't need any of it. In fact, at the end of this list, he says something that's really uh, a powerful statement. He says, for people who do these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's scary, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean if I drink a little bit too much, then I, I'm damned to hell? Does that mean if I have a little bit of dissension in my life that I don't fully get rid of, then I'm, I'm just, I'm toast? That heaven is out of the question? Well, no. I mean, Paul has just spent the last four chapters of the book of Galatians saying that you are saved by grace. You are saved through the work of Jesus, not through your own work, that you are free from the law, that you can't be good enough, that Christ was good enough. So clearly what he's not saying here is if you have any of these sins in your life, you're cut off, you're done. But instead, what I think he wants us to realize is that none of these things are part of God's plan, a part of God's kingdom. You don't need any of them. They're all broken. They're all ugly. None of them can truly bring you joy. None of them can truly bring you peace. None of them can truly bring you patience and goodness and faithfulness. These things don't have value to us anymore. That as followers of Jesus, when we live in the spirit, we are dead to these things. We don't need them anymore. So let's take a look at these sins. I think we can break them into some lists or some categories. The first category would be like the sexual sins, right? He lists out sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And basically, without spending too much time in these, really, this is kind of uh, covers all of the sexual sin. It, it would be kind of like saying whether you're having an affair, looking at pornography, or just in a flirtatious relationship, all of these are desires of the flesh. None of these are, have value to you. So we can't look at this list and go, well, okay, as long as I'm not doing this, I'm okay. 
It's, I just can't do this one thing. No, this is, this is the whole spectrum of it. And, and we don't need these things. That life in the Spirit is so much greater than this. We can walk away from these. It's a convicting word. Then he goes on to the religious sins, right? He lists idolatry and sorcery. And I think idolatry is somewhat easier for us to recognize in our culture, right? That that would be worshiping something, whether it's an object or even just a concept. It's what we put our value and our worth into. It's what kind of occupies our heart, what what we worship. But then sorcery, that's not something we necessarily think about a lot in Western culture, right? We don't Think of that. And, and really in that day, the sorcerer was the same word. Sorcery was the same word that we derived the word pharmacy from in Greek. That's where we get the word pharmacy. And this was kind of the local drug dealer kind of seance. You would come to this person that there would be this substance use and you would have these religious experiences. So I, I think about that for us. What are the things that we go to for our religious experience? Whether it is through different substances, whether it's through different things that, that we feel like are going to give us divine knowledge or, or things. And these, God is saying, have no place in a life that's walking in the Spirit. I've given you everything you need. Put your worship on me. The next list are the, the interpersonal sins, right? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy. These are all these lists of sins that divide one from another. It's us pushing somebody down in order to elevate ourselves, and, and they have no place for us as followers of Jesus. If we are the heirs of God, if we are adopted sons and daughters of God, that is where we get our worth. We don't need to run around getting our worth by pushing somebody else down in order to try to elevate ourselves. And as followers of Jesus, these are desires of the flesh. These are these things that, that we think we need. We think we need to do them, yet the Bible is clear. You don't need those. You, you don't need those. Let go of those things. Crucify those things. And the last list are these kind of festival sins. These are things that were directly associated with the, the cultural and the religious festivals of the day, drunkenness and orgies. In that context, what would happen is during cultural festivals, different harvest festivals or religious festivals, everybody would come together and they would party and they would eat and they would drink and that would go down into just kind of sexual promiscuity and even all the way to orgies. And Paul is listing these things saying, you don't need these things. Now, again, we look at those things, and it kind of maybe seems a little bit obvious for us. We're in a different context, a different culture. We're like, yeah, clearly, that's bad. But imagine you live in a culture, a context, where your great-grandfather has gone to those temple parties. And your grandfather and your father and your brothers and sisters, and everybody goes up this time of year and participates in these big, drunken, debauchery festivals. And and so much so that it, it doesn't even feel wrong. And it makes me ask, what are the things in our culture that are so socially acceptable that goes, well, that's not that bad. My grandfather's done it. My dad does it. Now I do it. It's just part of who I am. That's, that's not really that bad. Yet, Paul is saying, no, you don't need these things anymore. These are desires of the flesh. Now, again, this is not a complete list. This isn't every sin. There's some big ones missing from this list, right? Like greed. And so maybe there's some other things on this that that God wants to convict you of. But when we live in the Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, He's convicting us of these things. So when was the last time you felt truly convicted of one of these sins? I mean, enough so that it, it kept you up that it bothered you. And if it's been a while, maybe it's time to say, okay, God, I know I've got these things in my life. 
I've been really comfortable with them for a long time. Maybe it's time to crucify these things. Maybe it's time to get rid of these things. So how do we do this? And I think there's some things in here that that help us uh, understand that. And the first is by allowing love to shine into our darkness. In verse 19, Paul says that of these things, these are evident. These are obvious. But when I look at these lists, I think some of them don't feel that obvious to me, right? I mean, some of these sins, these desires of the flesh, they can happen in my life for years, and I never realize that they're obviously a bad thing. And I think part of walking in the Spirit is when we allow the love of God to shine into our life, it really shows off the the ugliness of our life. And it's this process that there might be certain things when you first come to Christ that you can easily identify, go, okay, that's bad and that's bad. I need to get rid of that and that. But then after years, you go, oh yeah, and there's that. Oh, yeah, I guess I didn't realize we had that. Reminds me a little bit, a couple impact days ago, some of you guys came out and we were doing some work on this property. And we were out at this house, and there was clearly some things that needed to be cleaned up around the property. Like there was a pile of bumpers in one back corner, right? These old rusty bumpers. And I remember there was a group of guys that went over, and they, you know, they started throwing out the bumpers. And they got done, and they started kind of raking the grass under these bumpers. And they kind of found a piece of metal. So they start digging under those bumpers. There's another bumper half buried. And Then they dig a little more and they find another one. And it was like they found four or five bumpers buried under the surface in that yard. And I think that's a little bit what happens for us as we learn to walk in the Spirit, as the Spirit convicts us and His love shines out of our life. It points to these different things and we realize, okay, maybe that isn't part of the desires of the Spirit. Maybe that isn't part of a lifestyle of love. Maybe that isn't something I need. And so whether we've been following Jesus for a year or 50 years, God wants to draw those things out of our life. And we don't just draw them out of our life, that he calls us to crucify them. He says that those who are in Christ Jesus have crucified the desires of the flesh. And I like this word crucify because it reminds me that, that this, is not, this is not some work that I've done on my own. The beauty of the crucifixion is Christ has already been crucified for my sins that my sins are already dead, and that we need to understand that Jesus' crucifixion was sufficient for our biggest sins and our smallest sins. All of them have been eliminated. All of them have been removed from our life. And when we understand that, it can affect our actions. See, I think this is deeply a theological question. Do we truly believe, do we truly understand that Jesus' salvation, his death on the cross, was actually sufficient to cover over our sins? Because if we really believe that, it can affect the way we live our lives. I'm not a runner. I I don't know a whole lot about running. But from how I understand it, like 60 years ago, it was believed that nobody could really run under a four-minute mile, right? That just seemed like impossible. How could anybody run under four-minute mile? And then 60 years ago, some young doctor ran a mile in under four minutes. And it just opened the floodgate. All of a sudden, people realized that under the four-minute mile was possible, and so person after person, and now it's kind of the standard for mid-distance runners to run under a four-minute mile. And it wasn't because that people are now all of a sudden faster than they were before that time, but it's that their mentality changed. They realized it was possible. And I think in the same way, when we realize that our sins are dead to us, that we don't need to keep going back to our same temptations. We don't need to keep going back to the same things that gratified us and give us desire that there is this new life. When we understand that, it can change our actions, that those things are dead, not because we've killed them, but because Jesus did. 
The other thing that I think about the crucifixion is it's really a, a violent and aggressive word, isn't it? And I think it reminds us that we need to get aggressive with our sins. The idea of crucifying our sins, I mean, this is an act of, of incredible violence and torture. It's not a light word. It's not something that you just kind of go, well, you got these sins in your life, and you might want to gently buff them off, you know, or you might just want to scrub them a little bit, just kind of clean them up a little bit. It's this act of crucifying, getting aggressive with them. Imagine this. Imagine your family's growing, and you decide it's time to get the minivan, right? So you go down to the, the dealership, and you buy your minivan, you get this really great deal, and you load it up with all the car seats and all your kids, and you're leaving the, the, the dealership, and you're feeling really good about things. And all of a sudden, you hear this kind of rattling sound under your dash. You're like, oh, that's, that's a weird sound. And you pull the car over, and you look under the dash, and there's like a coiled-up rattlesnake, right? You're like, whoa, you get all the kids out of the car, and you kind of you call the dealership up, and you're like, hey, you're not going to believe this, but that van you just sold me, there's a rattlesnake under the hood. And the, the salesperson goes, oh, yeah, we didn't tell you about that? The reason you got such a good deal on that is there's actually a whole nest of rattlesnakes in this van. It's, it's totally infested with rattlesnakes. I, I hate snakes. And if that was a real story, which obviously it's not, that would be the bloodiest day on the side of the road. I would not stop until every one of those rattlesnakes was completely removed from the scene of the crime, right? I mean, it would be there's no way that I would drive around even with one rattlesnake lurking within that van. Yet we live our lives with these sins in our lives, lurking in our lives, and we feel like, well, they're not that big of a deal. Yeah, I've got this problem with dissension, but it just happens at work, and we have a really divisive work environment. So it's, but I can still worship God over here. Or, yeah, I've got this problem with pornography in my life, but you know what? That just happens at nighttime. It doesn't affect my, who I am. Well, yeah, I've got this problem with envy in my life, but that's just over here. And they're like snakes living within our life. And as followers of Christ, we don't need them, that we can crucify them, we can cut them out of our lives, that there's no place for those in a life walking in the Spirit. And that's the beauty of the gospel here. But it's also beautiful that the gospel doesn't just call us to not do things. The gospel also calls us to embrace something new and something beautiful. And that is embracing a new relationship, not just a new law. See, Paul doesn't just say, okay, you know, we've gotten that one law. You don't, you're not enslaved to that anymore, so let's move on to the next kind of set of rules. He said, no, walk in the spirit, this act that's incredibly relational. But we really like practical steps in our culture, right? We like 10 steps to a better you or five things to be a more loving person or whatever it is. And sometimes we can teach out the fruits of the Spirit just like that. And it can become like you could take like a, a self-help Oprah, top-selling Oprah book, and we just change all the titles to be fruits of the Spirit. Chapter one is, you know, love. Chapter two is peace. And then we could market that as a Christian self-help book. And oh, wouldn't that be just great? But that's not what Paul gives us here. The, the commandment is to walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, these things become fruit that are birthed out in our life. The illustration is, is really obvious. A tree can't decide to make better fruit, right? A tree can't just say, okay, I'm going to kind of trim off some branches here for myself and put more water out to this one branch. It's, a tree can't do that. It requires a gardener to take care of that tree. And we have the greatest gardener imaginable. We have God himself guarding in our life. So when we connect in with the Spirit, these fruits are birthed out in our life. 
That, that they're not just a checklist of things we have to do. Okay, today I need to be more loving, so I better do an act of loving. And tomorrow I need to work on patience, so I'm going to go hang out in the DMV. It's not like that, right? <laughs> it's, it's this process of walking in the Spirit. And when we do that, these things come out of our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As Christians, we should expect these things to be happening in our life. This is not something that just for the rare few will see these things birthed out in our life. This is the standard. This is what God desires to do in our life. And walking in the Spirit is allowing that process to take place in our life. It's not a passive relationship. It's not something that we just go, okay, yeah, that's going to happen. So I guess, okay, we'll just let it happen. No, it takes us plugging in, investing into that relationship, connecting with the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to convict us of things that are broken in life, our life and guide us to the things that are loving and pure and righteous. It's a process. So what does this look like? How do we do this? And I think one of the things we see here is we do this by embracing a life of love. Right? This is sort of obvious in a way, but this is really the context of this whole passage, that we can embrace a lifestyle of love. Instead of becoming angry and hateful with our coworkers, we can choose gentleness and patience and kindness. Instead of looking maybe for fortune tellers or different things to give us karma or religious experience or good luck, we can find our, our worth and our value in faithfulness in, in God and knowing that he's been faithful to us. Instead of drinking too much every time we get together with our family, we can choose self-control. And this is what God is calling us to, this life of love, and we get to discover that by walking in the Spirit, that it's a life saturated by these fruits of the Spirit, that they just begin to be birthed out of our life as we learn to love our neighbor as ourself. I think another thing that's important for us to just think about this is walking in the Spirit, it's, uh, it's relational, right? It's a little bit abstract. So it, it requires what I've written down here as being sensitive to the softer side of our spiritual life. And I don't mean that softer as any less important. But what I mean by that is that the Christianity is not just a set of concrete little things that we can check off or do, right? It's not just that if you do A, B, and C, when you go to heaven, you'll get D, right? Or if you do these things, you get this. If you do these things, you get that. That, that part of walking in the Spirit is this abstract relational quality of us speaking to God and God speaking back into our life and to guiding us and directing us. I um, was part of a church tradition or was around a church tradition a lot growing up that was pretty conservative. And oftentimes in that particular context, what was taught was if you want to know what God wants for your life, it's pretty simple. You just read the Bible and you can just take whatever situation is happening in your life, maybe what job you're going to go into or what career or what, who you should marry. Just read the Bible and logically deduce what it's telling you to do and go and do it. Well, there are certain things that, that, are, that, that just doesn't work for that. I can't just look at it and go, okay, well, I got these two people that I'm thinking about marrying, so I read this passage and it tells me to go here. It doesn't work that way. So instead, we've got to listen to the Holy Spirit guide and to speak into our life. And there's some ways that I think the Holy Spirit speaks into our life. And the first and foremost is I don't want to at all minimize the Word of God. This is the foundation for all truth in our life. The Bible says that, that this book 
was breathed out by God. The very Spirit of God came out into this text and is there to teach us and guide us and gives us everything we need to follow him. That there is no knowledge or truth that we need outside of this book that is totally sufficient for that. And so we should go to Scripture and we should allow God to speak into our life and say, okay, God, what are you trying to show me here today? Here's the questions I got, God, teach me, guide me. And we should understand that this process of studying God's word is a deeply spiritual process. It is part of that relationship of us learning to walk into the spirit. And we should go to scripture expecting God to speak to us through that. Another thing is I I labeled it here as a quiet voice. I'm not sure exactly how to write this or how to say this, but it's that point where we're listening to God's spirit in our life. We're going to him in prayer and saying, okay, God, I'm not sure what we should do here. I got these questions. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. They both seem kind of equal in this. Where Guide me, direct me. And not just speaking and not just praying, not just going through our list of prayer requests, but actually stopping and listening and saying, okay, God, teach me, show me. The next thing is listening to the community of believers. See, so often I think God speaks to us through the voice of the church, through each other, coming together and pouring into our lives. When Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas or so often throughout the book of Acts, when they were getting ready to go out on a missionary journey, I think they were pretty clear what God was calling them to. They had heard that kind of quiet voice of God, whether it was through audible or whether it was just through this feeling that they knew God was calling them out on that missionary journey. But before they did that, they gathered the church together and the elders would lay hands and, and and send them out. And that was so that they could affirm what God was speaking into their lives. And the reality of it is that we are too broken and emotional to to always be right on hearing God's work in our life. There are so often that we think we're hearing what God's calling us to, but maybe it's just our selfishness or our brokenness. So understanding that God is speaking also through the lives of other people to guide us and direct us. And I think the last thing is is so often the Holy Spirit guides us through experiences, through things that happen to us, through a door being opened and closed, through opportunities being made available or not. And we can look at even those things as a spiritual experience, that God is using that. It's not just fate. It's not just happenstance. It's not just random events occurring in our life. But maybe that God is actually guiding us and directing us, and we need to be sensitive to that. We need to listen to that. We need to be making space in our life so God can guide us and point us to to love and point us to these fruits of the Spirit, can help us uncover these ugly brokenness in our life. So I think for me, as I'm kind of thinking through this, of okay, what's the real application of this? What does it truly mean this week, this month, to walk in the Spirit? And I think one of those for me is, okay, God, of these lists of desires, these selfish, fleshly desires, what is it you're calling me to crucify in my life? Convict me. Give me guilt. Make me realize the ugliness of these things in my life. Help me get rid of those. And so maybe for you this week, maybe it's circling one of those. Or if there's nothing that kind of jumps out at you off that list, maybe that's your prayer this week is convict me, God. Point these things out in my life. Let your love shine into my life. And then the other, if, are you making space to hear the Spirit guiding and directing in your life? Are you slowing down? Are you allowing that kind of softer side of your spirituality to be fed, that relational aspect of what God wants to do directly in your life. And so maybe this week it's setting aside some time and making some space for that to happen. So let's pray. And as we're praying, I think the band's going to come back up. 
and we're going to spend some time uh, worshiping. And the next couple of songs we're going to sing are really about pouring ourselves out and offering ourselves to God. And maybe that's a time that you can reflect that, reflect these prayers in your heart. God, we just, we come before you broken, that so often we don't even know where we're broken. We don't even know what we need. We just, um, we realize that we are. So I pray that your spirit guides in each of our lives, that you point to the things that you want to see grow and flourish, that you birth out these fruits of the spirits in our lives so we can serve you and follow you fully. God, I pray for that. I pray for us as a church, that we become a church uh, as a community that we reflect these beautiful fruits of the Spirit that you want to see in our lives and that, that we minimize, we crucify these desires of the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Bridges Podcast. Check out Bridges Community Church website at bridgescc.org for more information.